Good morning. It's stuck on my earring, isn't it? <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Annika, and I'm on staff here. Uh, it is a good morning. We are excited. Um, we have lots of people to welcome this morning. Uh, first of all, we are blessed to have Dan Voss with us this morning. He'll be sharing the word. Thank you, Dan, for being here. In addition, we have Mr. Baird Lashley, who is the worship leader for Serve in the past and the music teacher over at White and Soul Christian School, and he's helping us out with worship today. Certainly, last but not least, we are excited to say that we have the Burns family in the house. Pastor Matthew and his family arrived safely on Friday morning, and they've been in the process of moving in. Guys, would you stand up for us for just a second? And I think, Matthew, if you want to come forward, say welcome. We are so excited to have you here, and we are blessed by your presence and excited to be installing you on November 22nd. Good morning, Pleasant Street. It's good to see you. It's, uh, it's good to be able to say that. It feels like we've been waiting a long time to say those words together, I think. Uh, I know we certainly have. And for those of you who are joining us online as well, uh, welcome. And in particular, for those of you who are visiting or new to this church in some way, I am also new. So uh, welcome to you from one new person to another. If my experience with this congregation uh, is any standard by which you could measure yours. Uh, you're, you're in a great place, and I look forward to getting to know this church with all of you as well. Um, it's been a whirlwind these last couple of months. Uh, it's been a strange time for all of us, and certainly one to do a transition, and yet I am grateful because God uh, does not abandon us. This was no surprise to him. And he is able to lead and to call and to guide us even when we don't know where the, where the next step uh, is to, to place our feet. And so I give thanks for that and that he has given us our next step uh, walking into this new chapter of your story and a chance to partner together in ministry. I'm very excited and hopeful about what God is doing here and the ways that we can participate in that and join you in this ministry together. Um, it is no small thing to move a family across the country, especially with, with little ones. Uh, many of you could probably testify to that. It's a time when you are uh, vulnerable in a lot of ways. Uh, it's a, you know, scholars would call it a liminal space, a time when life becomes a bit precarious. And in a time like that, uh, you, you want to know where the helpers are, right? We're the people who will help you come from. And uh, as, as we've entered this very vulnerable place, all of you have been there for us, right? You, you have helped us. You've met us on the other end. But even before then, in this long transition, you were there along the way. And so we give thanks for all of you today. In a time when so many people in our world find themselves in a, in a similar kind of vulnerable spot for whatever reason, uh, I am grateful for this church 
and for the kinds of care and support that you've shown to us. And I can only imagine that that is reflective of the kinds of care and support that you are trying to offer to this wider community. And that is a way that we have experienced the gospel through you. And I am excited to, to know that and help us all share that more in the world around us. And so there is a lot to give thanks for, even in a strange time. Uh, my mask is off, so you can see what I look like a little bit. Uh, it might take me a little while to, to recognize all of you, and, uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, and so for now, um, we will keep unpacking the boxes, and we will see you uh, around town, I suppose, and in the next couple of weeks. It, uh, God bless you. Let's worship. So, so yes, this here is not a, a new fashion accessory. This here is a name tag. We would ask you to consider wearing a name tag just for the next couple of weeks to help the Burns family out, get to know your, your name and at least your eyes, put them together. Um, so, mask color, yeah. Uh, um, that would be wonderful. Let's quiet our hearts before our God. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. In your wisdom, you have made all creation to worship you. You call us to worship you now in this time and place, in unity with prophets, martyrs, and saints from all times and places. As we prepare for worship, we pray that you will quiet our hearts, that we may hear your voice in your word. We pray that you would stir our hearts, that we may more faithfully follow Jesus and that you will be glorified by the praise and prayers we offer. May our worship today help us to offer our entire lives to you and unite us with your whole church throughout the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who was with the Father, and the Spirit is one God, blessed forever. Amen. Would you rise, embody your spirit as we praise our God. We are the legacy, church, of a worshiping people for generations. So be encouraged by these words from our worshiping ancestors from Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues even to this generation. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah. Oh, burning sun with golden beams and shining moon with silver gleam. Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, hallelujah. Sing 
wind that art so strong The clouds that sail in heaven along Oh, praise Him, hallelujah A new rising dawn in praise rejoice You lights of evening find a voice Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. on Thursday night told me that you are a singing congregation, and despite the masks, it was good to hear you, so let's just continue with that. You give hope, you 
may be seated. Our great God, creating, wonderful, sustaining, but yet so often we try and do it our own way. Whether because we think our way is better or because we just haven't taken time to ask God what his way is. Let's take a moment now to confess to our God. Wondrous God who set suns and moons above us, mountains and valleys beneath us, and friends and strangers among us. How often we have tried to hide from your presence. How seldom we have looked for your creating face and your fashioning hand. Lord, have mercy upon us. Wondrous God who took upon yourself flesh of our flesh, in Jesus our brother, and being found in human form, made the ultimate disclosure of yourself in the face of Jesus Christ. How often we have forgotten you. How seldom have we really loved and followed you. Christ, have mercy upon us. Wondrous God who pours out freely the Holy Spirit, how often have we ignored your promptings. How seldom have we asked for your help or accepted your gifts. Lord, have mercy upon us. Wondrous God, we confess the poverty of our worship, our neglect of fellowship and of the means of grace, our hesitating witness for Christ, our imperfect stewardship of your gifts. Have mercy on us, Christ, and forgive us. Amen. Take a moment in the quiet of your hearts before our God. Hear these words from Psalm 32 written by King David. While I kept silent, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Know that in Jesus, God embraces you, forgives you, and strengthens you to live a renewed life. Thanks be to God. Do rise, embody your spirit. Having been made right with God, I want to pass this peace to you. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Greet your neighbor in a socially distanced way. <laughs> in just a moment, we're going to sing again. And this time when we do, it's going to be a kind of a, a fun song here. And we want to invite our little ones. And after this song, we're going to have a long time of sitting. Little ones sometimes have a hard time with sitting. This is our chance to get our wiggles out, guys. 
Though it, I will note, parents, if, if during the sermon you do have more wiggles, there's the couches in the back or the fellowship hall, or if you just need to take a walk around the sanctuary, that's okay here. We encourage that. Um, but we, we want to invite the little ones to come out to the aisle and, and join us in praising our God with their bodies. of quick notes. One's uh, really kind of wonderful. 
Nellie DeVries celebrated a birthday yesterday. And um, I don't know if she would mind my telling you her age, but I'm going to anyway. She, uh, she turned 95. That's just great. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I want to include her in my prayer. Also, on a more sobering note, I have to include um, someone that we've been praying for for weeks, even months, um, a cousin of uh, Marlene DeVries's, Rick Fairweather, who had suffered from um, glioblastoma. He's gone to be with Jesus. And in such, we, we, we praise our Lord and thank him for that, for his goodness. Um, but we'll include uh, his family and uh, his friends in our prayer also. Um, Lillian Hackathorn has also asked me to include her, their son, um, Joseph, who we will, uh, we will speak to the Lord on his behalf. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. We thank you, our God, and praise you for, for what we see in your creation, for its magnificence, for sometimes what we think is a craziness, for five inches of snow on one particular day just a week ago and then followed by beautiful days of 75 degrees. We see your strength and we marvel at its goodness. Thank you. Thank you for providing for us here at Pleasant Street, for providing us with a facility, for, for allowing safety and security, for allowing us to be here now and worship without fear. We thank you for the, the, the talents and the willingness of people who share their gifts, gifts that you've given that we might bring glory to you. Thank you for continuing to protect us against the, the COVID-19 virus. We have all kinds of things going on all over the place, here in our church, at the schools, and the retirement home, places where we care for your family, and you have protected us and allowed us safety. We can't help but thank you again, Lord, for the safe arrival of uh, Pastor Matthew Burns and his family. For each one, for Diana, for Shiloh, Cana, and Mariah, we thank you for their being here with us today, and we just pray that you'd continue to provide grace and strength as they settle in, and we see what's in your plans for all of us here at Pleasant Street. Thank you on this day that you brought uh, Baird Lashley to us to share his gifts. We thank you for all of those who, who uh, lead us in worship this morning, and, and, and uh, we just pray that you would bless them for their participation once again in their use of, of uh, the gifts and talents you've allowed to honor you. As we mentioned, Lord, we do thank you for a life such as uh, you've allowed the 95 years to Nellie DeVries, and we just... Thank you. May we celebrate with her family and with her and pray that you'd continue to grant her grace, peace, and joy in her life for you. We do pray also that you would be with the Fairweather family, 
We pray for comfort, grace, and strength after the passing of Rick. We pray, too, that uh, you would be with those that Rick was able to witness to and grant to them uh, a strength and guidance in their spiritual walk that they would be fulfilled in you. Be with Joseph, Lord. Touch him, surround him with your grace and strength. Allow him clarity and, and uh, the knowledge that indeed you, you are held in his hands for protection, for guidance. We thank you for all that can take place to further your kingdom through the pledges that are uh, involved in our faith promise pledges. You allow us to actively uh, be partners and participants with you in so many different ministries. Lord, lately uh, we, we may feel inhibited. We've got this coronavirus and we've got some some confusion and some chaos in our world that, that, we, that we allow to inhibit us. We allow it to maybe bring us down and to, to uh, bring us to a halt in our, in our diligence, in our, our walk with you. We pray that we could shrug that off, Lord, that we could be diligent, we could be generous, that, we could, uh, that you'd cause us to be faithful in our giving for the work of your kingdom. We pray that you would provide peace and healing, having mentioned some, con some confusion, some chaos in our world. We, we have just um, wrapped up an election time quite peaceful, and we thank you for it. We thank you for guidance. We thank you for our nation and pray for peace. We pray for a spirit of revival. We pray for wisdom, cooperation, and strength. We have a full calendar, Father. Monday through Sunday, we thank you. We, we, we pray that you would please continue to be in each of these activities, that your will be done, the care ministries, Bible studies, prayer meetings, and open door, provide safety from the spread of illness, leadership, wisdom, and mostly your presence. Also for our, our spiritual development in our, our gems and cadets and all of the programs that will allow us to, to honor you in what we do in your kingdom. Thank you for Dan Voss, Lord, for his willingness always to to bring your message, and again on this morning, we pray that you'd grant him wisdom, clarity, as he brings your word, brings your word to life for us today. We thank you and pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture passage today is from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 through 3, and 11 through 13. As prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So for a moment, think about three questions. First, what do you want to be? Second, what do you do? Third, who are you? We tend to ask the first question to children, what do you want to be when you grow up? I didn't quite add that part right away. What do you want to be when you grow up? And the answer we expect to hear back is something about a profession. Well, I want to be an engineer. I want to be a teacher. I want to be an NFL offensive lineman. It is a question that imagines possibilities. In some ways, answering what do you want to be when you grow up with a profession is limiting because really we want to be, we should be more than that. We tend to ask the second question of people we have just met, at least back when we talked to strangers, this is what we would do. So, what do you do for a living? And often we expected the same answers to the first question. We expect a profession. I am an NFL lineman. I am a teacher. Oh, I'm between jobs right now. And maybe as we ask, we know that there are probably more interesting questions that we could ask. Deeper questions. But we're hesitant to ask the more interesting questions of strangers. We don't want to get too personal, too quickly, too close. Now we almost never ask the third question, who are you? We don't ask it of strangers, that wouldn't be polite. And with our family and friends, we assume that we know the answer. But this is a really important question. Who are you? Because it's about the core of us. This is the stuff that matters. As we turn to Ephesians, I'm going to suggest that who are you is the big question that Ephesians addresses. Now, I did one of the things that you're never supposed to do. I'm really preaching a sermon on the whole book of Ephesians, which is a certain amount of risk. The book is bigger than, you know, 20 minutes. But the first half of the book of Ephesians is all about this question, who are you? And the passage that we just read this morning is where it pivots from that big question, who are you? 
to the lesser question, so what are you going to do about it? Ephesians is all about who we are. That is the big burning issue at the start of it. And once we've established this, then Ephesians is about, well, what do you do as a response? So this morning we're going to start with the big picture that Ephesians paints. This big question of, who are you? And we'll go from there to thinking about, what do we do about this? So in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and if you've got your Bibles handy, you might want to you know, put a thumb in it and look at the, the first three chapters of Ephesians because we have a series of images that describe the effect that God's grace has on people. Now, the letter of Ephesians is primarily for a Gentile Christian audience, primarily for people who have been introduced to the God of Israel by Christian missionaries, by Paul and others like him. And Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 12, echo back to a past reality. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision done in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That image is the image that lurks in the past, the distant B.C. of the congregation that is being addressed. Once upon a time, you lived B.C., you lived before Christ. And when you were before Christ, all of these terrible things were true about you. And that past memory is then contrasted with the present reality. God has been gracious. And so Ephesians gives us images of grace. And so in chapter 1, we run into the idea that we are inheritors of God's gracious promises. The language is of being an heir with a glorious inheritance, and it comes up repeatedly. In Ephesians 1, verse 11, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. Or a few verses later, you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, which is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people. You have inherited a promise that promises that you will be the children of God, that you will live with God eternally. This is your inheritance. You are heirs. Now think about this image for a moment. An heir receives... A gift. Something that's been promised. Promised to be handed down from parent to child, but a promise and a gift. It isn't earned. Although some of us might say, well, we put in enough, you know, sweat and effort in the family business, on the family farm, something like that. But inheritance is something that is someone else's choice to grant. You don't get to dictate it. 
We'll keep that in mind. As we turn to Ephesians 2, we encounter another image, being raised from death to life. And this might be the most famous single image in Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In fact, the text goes on, we all were, whether those Gentile Christians who lived B.C. or the Jewish Christians who had not kept the law of God as they ought, all of us were dead in our transgressions and sins, Ephesians says. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Now, using death to describe our spiritual lives is striking and a really depressing image. We perhaps gloss over it quickly because we know that the resurrection is coming. But to talk about us as being dead in our transgressions and sins is an image of helplessness, total inability. Someone who is dead can do nothing to make themselves alive. Any hope for their future is dependent on outside intervention. But, Ephesians 2 says, you have gone from death to life. Because of God who is rich in mercy, he has made you alive with Jesus Christ. And later in Ephesians 2, we encounter another image that we have been made a new person. With Christ as the head, Ephesians says, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians have together been made into one new person, a new humanity. And the emphasis again falls on what God has done through grace. For Jesus is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two. And really, one new humanity might not be the right way to think of it. It says literally one new man, one new person. All of us are one, one body, with Christ as our head. The redemptive work of Jesus has made it possible. And Ephesians 2 ends with one more image, that of a new living temple built by God. And so with all of these snapshot pictures, heirs of eternal life, brought from dead to life, death to life, made a new human made into a living temple, all of these images are tied together by a common thread. For each image, the issue is, who are you? And the answer is that our status has been changed because God in his grace has made us something new. We have hope, a future, an identity, a God-glorifying purpose. This is what Christ has made us. This is who we are. And our life in Christ is, first of all, a divine gift. And our first responsibility, as Ephesians lays it out, is to receive this gift, to belong by faith. So Ephesians gives us an answer to the question, who are you? So let's work back another question, because I ask, well, what do you do for a living? 
Let's think about that what do you do question now in response because this is what Ephesians 4, the text that we read this morning, shifts us toward. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If we want to be grammatically fancy, starting in chapter 4 and working through to the end of the book, we have a lot of verbs that are in the imperative. We've shifted from the indicative tense, which describes things the way they are, to the imperative. Now do. Do these things. And so as we shift from the beginning of the book with its images of who you are, we get into a series of commands. Now live like it. If you are one body, then be one. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. If you are a temple, be pure and holy. And Ephesians is going to spend a lot of time talking about purity of speech, purity of sexual conduct. If you are a temple, be holy. If you have been given the Holy Spirit as the down payment on your inheritance, well then, live by the Spirit. Use the gifts of the Spirit for the good of the body. And that was Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that as gifts to the body, God has given some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. All of these offices, all of these names that we see on the back of the bulletin, elder, deacon, pastor, these are gifts of the Spirit for the maturity of the body. So if you've been given the Spirit, use the Spirit. And if you have been raised from death to life, well, get up and walk. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, and this verb for to live your life is literally the verb for to walk. So you've been made alive again. Now walk. Live the life. Be who God has made you. The life-changing work has been done. Live that changed life. So I started with three questions. Who are you? What do you do for a living? And now let's think a little bit about the first one. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I ask this question, what do you want to be, because there is a danger for us. The danger is that we might want to be something than we actually are, something, than we, something other than we actually ought to be. We might choose to be something other or something less than what Christ has made us. We've just come through an election that has forced Americans to choose sides. And American politics right now makes it hard to be neutral. It makes it hard to seek common ground. And we have been wearing our political identities as Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives, and it's hard for us to take those hats off. It's hard for us to not drive past the signs in the lawns and have visceral reactions to them.
it's hard for us not to launch into our favorite political diatribes. But, and the point is this, if this is how we define ourselves, I am a Republican, I am a Democrat, if we define ourselves by our political selves, we are being something less than we were meant to be. Or if we define ourselves by what we do, our work, our hobbies. If we define ourselves by what we like, our teams. I mean, not that there's a whole lot of reason to invest your self-identity in the Patriots or the Red Sox right now. But that doesn't stop all of us. If that is who we are, then we are being something less than we are meant to be. Don't make your life about your success in business or your three-point shooting percentage or your favorite fishing spot. And don't make your life about how many committees you serve on, how many meals you've served at Piece of Bread or how many appearances you've made with the praise team. Don't reduce your identity to the legitimately good things that you do. The good things that we do need to flow from who we are in Christ and not get in the way of who we are in Jesus Christ. Ephesians calls us to be the new creation first. And only after we know who we are does it tell us what we need to do. Now when we ask, who do you want to be? What do you want to be? We often ask, when you grow up. And over the past six months, a significant change has been happening in the Voss household. It took Lisa and me by surprise. Suddenly, we had another adult-sized person in the house. And the stats back it up. Back in March, my oldest son, Justin, was still a couple inches shorter than Lisa. And sure, there were some warning signs that he was, you know, growing. His, you know, foot size was alarmingly large. But all of a sudden, starting in about June, we would look out of the corner of our eye and assume that it was the other spouse, and instead it was Justin. All of a sudden, you know, kind of lurking in your peripheral vision, you would assume, well, that's the size of my spouse, and no, it's um, actually my son. And some of you have had this happen to you, but it took me by surprise. And he started borrowing my shoes. Like this morning, Dad, what are you wearing to church? Oh, do you want my brown shoes? Yeah. Okay, I will choose accordingly. And we've had to go out and you know, buy the whole new wardrobe because nothing fits thing. And all things considered, I am thrilled about this. And we also have this family bet on when Justin is going to be taller than me. Because he has officially passed Lisa. I think she is willing to admit it now. 
And kind of the odds are that by my next birthday in half a year, um, I will not be the tallest person in the household. Let me know if you want to get in on that action. And so I have this graphic reminder of what, it ha- what happens when you grow up. Because I'm seeing it happen before my eyes. And so for Justin, and yes, for my younger children as well, this question of what are you going to be is a pressing question. But what I want Justin to do, what I want my children to do, what we want all of us to do, is to grow into the people that we are so that the rest of the body fits the size 12 shoes, so that the maturity that we physically have when we hit five, nine and a half and counting, and it looks like we're going to you know, pass six feet easily, we want emotional maturity and intellectual maturity and a growth in skills and spiritual maturity, all of these things to come along with it. And so my goal for... Justin, and the goal of our Christian lives together is that we grow into the people that we are. One last story. About five years ago, I had a what do you do for a living conversation with strangers waiting for the train. I was catching commuter rail back toward home on, after a day at Boston College, and two women had found their way to the Newtonville stop and were trying to figure out the timetable because I think this was the spring and they were headed downtown toward a Red Sox game. And they could not figure out the timetable and, well, I knew the timetable because this is my train. So I don't quite remember if I was just close enough to overhear them and volunteered to help them or whether they asked, do you know what's going on? Anyways... We sorted out the train thing, and then one of them asked, so what do you do for a living? And I explained that I was a graduate student in theology at Boston College, which was met with the response that I did not expect. The response was, oh, so you have to be nice to people. (laughs) What? I wasn't sure how to to respond to that, so I think I said, well, I try. And shortly after that, my train came and we were spared much more awkward conversation. Now, we couldn't quite have the conversation that perhaps I wanted to have at that point. It's an awkward conversation to have with strangers. I mean, I know myself well enough. I am not always nice. I could choose to be less than I ought to be. I could have said, you know, figure it out yourself or something like that. Suggesting that I do not have the choice but to be good is a good way to make me, you know, surly and stubborn and to not be as much as I ought to be. It's not like I have a quota of good deeds that I need to do in a day. It's not like I'm earning a merit badge for helping little old ladies across the street. All of those things are things that I would have liked to say, kind of, in that conversation. 
So the reason I was helpful, the reason we do good, and Ephesians' reason for why we ought to be good, is not that I have a quota of good things to do, but that I am trying to be the person that God has made me to be. I am trying to be who I am in Jesus Christ. And when I do that, and when we do that, our actions will be those of our best selves. What Ephesians says is our truest selves. And when we do that, then our gracious God is glorified. Please join with me in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you so much for who you have made us to be. For giving us new life through your son's sacrifice. For putting your Holy Spirit in us to make us new people. For giving us hope and a future and an identity that we are yours, body and soul in life and in death. It's now, O oh Lord, we pray that you would help us, by your grace, by your spirit who lives in us, to be the people that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. sorrow and in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested my life began Ash was redeemed only beauty remained my orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new, now life begins with you. Chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life began, oh, your grace so free. 
time in our service we would normally be having our morning offerings and because of COVID we still are not going to be passing those baskets but uh, we would encourage you to use the gifts God has given you to support ministry uh, here in Whitensville and really throughout the world through your gifts so um, at this time we are going to take a moment however and celebrate our gems and our cadets programs that have successfully gotten off the ground this year even with covid so i'm going to invite uh, scott and aaron and miss kate and whoever else on up good morning everyone um i want to just talk for a minute about these ministries of cadets and gems I tend to focus more on cadets, which is a boys' scouting ministry. If you're unfamiliar with it, um, try to track me down after the service outside or, or talk to one of the elders or deacons or the church office. It's a scouting ministry for boys in grades 1 through 6, more or less. And we do activities like campouts, merit badges, crafts, Bible studies, uh, snow derbies, and things like that. 
Um, we are one of the longest tenured cadet groups in the country. Cadets is actually an international organization. Our cadet club has been going for somewhere around 50 years, I believe a little more, and the GEMS also for quite a long time. Uh, last year, we were able to get together with a cadet group out of Hartford, Connecticut, and we stayed overnight on the USS Constitution in Boston Harbor for one night. That was a great activity we did, and then afterwards we did a, a lock-in, and we built some sleds for a snow derby, and then the weather and the pandemic didn't exactly cooperate, so we're hoping to do that race uh, when the snow comes in a few, uh, in the next month or two. Um, so if you know anyone in that age group um, that would be interested in it, get in touch with us. We're supported primarily by Pleasant Street and Fairlawn Churches, but that's only about half of the boys. I'd say the other half of the boys come from other churches in the area, and occasionally we're blessed with kids that don't go to any church, and they can get introduced to who Jesus is. And I was listening to Dan talk a few minutes ago, and we had his son, Justin, and it seems like not long ago, Justin was down here, and it's hard to believe that now he's up here. But I can believe it, because that's happened with a few of my boys and a few of the others that we had years ago who are now married or off working in professions. One of the things us cadet counselors try to do is help grow, boys grow more Christ-like in all ways of life. So we strive for that, and if you're interested in helping as well, uh, get in touch with us. We have one fundraiser a year, and uh, there should be some of these flyers in your mailboxes or out in the fellowship hall. We do Christmas trees and wreaths and stuff like that. If you have ever been in cadets or helped with cadets, I'm going to ask that you stand for just a minute. And if you have ever been in GEMS or helped with GEMS as well, I would ask that you would stand for just a minute. And I want to thank all of you for your dedicated work through the years and for attending and helping with those ministries. You may be seated. And we are thankful that we were able to start up uh, a couple months ago, a little later than normal. Um, but we're social distancing, we're doing games outside and badge work inside and all that great stuff. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Erin. And uh, she's going to, tell you, going to tell you a little bit about GEMS. Good morning. I'm Erin. Um, I am actually one of the co-coordinators um, along with Ruth Gibbons this year with GEMS. Um, we currently have a whole bunch of girls um, attending this year in grades one through five um, through lots of different schools, different churches, all coming in from the community. Um, I wrote a few notes. Sorry, I didn't want to forget anything. Um, so this year has been a little more dynamic, as kind of um, Scott kind of talked about. Um, we do have some plans in place if we sort of go over our numbers. Um, so we're more than happy to accommodate if that happens. Um, we have some strategic planning that's gone on um, over the summer to make sure that we can accommodate those things. Um, and it's been sort of a, a dynamic year. Um, Ruth and I are just sort of taking over, so we're learning our new roles as um, club co-coordinators, and we're also learning how to be club coordinators in 2020. Um, so with that being said, um, it's been an interesting year to be able to um, have face-to-face -face time with these girls. Um, we do socially distance and have um, a time where we meet and have a Bible study, and then we break off into our groups. And um, it's been really great. Girls um, have come to know that in first grade you decorate cakes, which is a big journey. Um, you make friendship pins. They know that when you get to um, 
that's in first and second grade. In third and fourth grade, um, if you have a third or fourth grader, your third or fourth grader probably came home right before Thanksgiving and has learned how to fold napkins. Um, and that's a big thing for our girls. And in fifth grade, they um, look forward to gingerbread houses, which um, leaders do not step on other leaders' toes. We know that that is their craft, and they take that over. And the girls come to expect those things, and they look forward to that when it comes to their grade. Um, we do do some group service projects. We work on badges, just like the cadets. Um, we do have some interactive um, Bible lessons. And it's been a really great time. And we actually um, have lots of new kids this year that we haven't had in the past from different churches that we haven't had um, kids coming from. And I think it's probably related to um, kids learning in different ways. Maybe they are exclusively Zoom learning at school, not a lot of face-to-face -face interaction. Um, and some kids are having full-time school, and they're really coming in and having that time to be together with their friends and interact with other kids, um, and it's really been a benefit, and we're learning a lot. Um, we really love it, and we would love to have more kids come, so if you know anyone from the community, send them our way. We'd be happy to have them. And lastly, um, at the end of GEMS, or what was abruptly the end of our GEMS year last year, um, Becky Bangma decided that she was going to retire from GEMS, which maybe she was, she was able to see into the future. Um, so we just wanted to take some time to thank her for her 30 years of commitment to the GEMS program and all that she did. Um, we have some big shoes to fill, um, but we wanted to just, um, if everyone could please put their hands together and thank Becky for all of her time and commitment. As a former gem myself, uh, whom Becky led, thank you, Becky, uh, talking about leading our little ones up into maturity, to be able to have been a gem, actually at that time a Calvinette in the church, um, and then to stand here as a pastor today in the same church is just beyond a blessing. Pastor Van. worship concludes we go with God's blessing may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace amen praise God from whom all blessings flow